This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Unnecessary roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's unnecessary roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down, end zone, touchdown, touchdown, Raiders! Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. Buckle up, Raider Nation. That's all I got to say. Buckle up. I hope that you, uh, you know, I hope you had your lunch. I hope you're full. I hope you're ready to go full throttle. Go hard in the paint because that's what we're going to do for the next three hours here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. Got my man Ari behind the wheels of steel. Of course, I'm holding it down. And I just came in, just flew in. From the parking lot, flew in from Allegiant Stadium. I was over at the Raiders draft luncheon, and it's funny. Just when Wendy hit me up on uh, Twitter, or hit me up and said, "Can't wait to hear the the tales of what happened at the draft luncheon." Well, I can tell you this: I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. I don't know. I'm here in studio. What I should have done, if I had been thinking correctly, what I would have done is I would have done the show from there, and I should have done it from you know, the the broadcast booth there at Allegiant Stadium because then I wouldn't have disturbed everybody because right now what JT the Brick is doing, and that's why Harry Ruiz was filling in for him today, JT is actually emceeing the Raiders draft luncheon. He's down on the field level talking to the players, you know, and everyone there, every one of the Raiders draft picks are there except for Zamir White. He's not there, so don't know, or at least he wasn't there when I was there. So I don't think he's there, but again, he wasn't there while I was there. I could have been up in the broadcast booth doing the show and just kind of saying how everything was shaking out or what was going on or, hey, JT's on stage with, you know, Dylan Parham, the third-round pick out of Memphis. Even though I wouldn't have got any sound, any, you know, play-by-play of exactly what's going on, I could have been there and then at least been in the stadium and still been a part of it. But I'm not. I'm in the studio with Ari, and that's okay. I have no problem with that. It was fun to get out there and be able to shake a few hands and see a couple people. Saw Will Kiss from the Raiders. Definitely appreciate seeing him. Got to talk to JT. Really, it's funny. He's been on vacation so much, and he was here in studio yesterday. That was really the first time I've seen JT in a long time, and then he wasn't here today, so I got to talk with him a few minutes and, uh, you know, seeing a lot of Raider Nation. And the other thing that I saw when I walked in there, before I ever got in, I was just walking around the stadium, just checking out the scene. There were so many cars and so many people representing Raider Nation that were there for stadium tours. I thought that was really cool because we're in, what, year three of the stadium, second year, going into the second year with with fans, and there was a ton of people that are still showing up to see the stadium, and there was plenty of representation to the point where I almost walked in the wrong entrance because I saw so many people going in one side. I said, oh, this must be where I'm, I'm going. And they said, oh, are you here for the luncheon? I said, yes, I am. Oh, there's a gate way over on the other side. And it's so funny. The wife always tells me I don't read directions very well because I'm that guy that I'll get something in the mail and it'll come with directions and I won't read it. I'll just put it together because, of course, I can put everything together, right? I'm that guy. Well, I didn't read all the directions on where to go on the email that they sent me. I mean, I just said, hey, go to parking lot 10. Okay, cool. I, or gate 10. That's what it was, gate 10. So I was like, all right, cool, I will. But it said what uh, what what letter to go to, and it said E. Well, instead of going to E and parking at E, I just parked where the rest of the cars were, which was C. And it doesn't sound like it's that far away, but let me tell you, there's a big difference between letter C and letter E, so I had to do a little bit of a walk. But that was okay. That was good for me, just getting a little walk in the Nice Las Vegas heat and uh, you know, got to roll in there to Allegiant Stadium. But, yeah, Raider Nation, you'll be proud to know there's a lot of representation at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, again, the the luncheon is going on, the Raiders draft luncheon. I'm sure you'll get some good sound from that. JT will probably have some good sound from that coming up on his show tomorrow. But as far as me having some some insight on it, I really don't. I literally went there and I grabbed the water. They gave us a, a Raiders draft hat. And, Ari, as you very well know, I know you're new to the show, but when's the last time you saw a hat on me? Never. Exactly. Exactly. So I got a Raiders draft hat, which I won't wear because I don't wear hats, but it's okay. I do have a nice UNLV hat, though. Shout out to uh, to Los Cassie Soto's Pops, who hooked me up with a couple UNLV, a running Rebels hat and a Rebels hat. So one representing football, one representing uh, ba- uh, basketball. So I do. I did. Whoa, whoa. I did. Uh, I did wear that when I went to Hawaii. I did wear the UNLV hat when I went to Hawaii. But that outside nice. of that, that was it. I had to represent. Right. I had yes, to represent. I do. Is yeah. that your only Rebels gear so far? Um, 
I do I think mean, so. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's understandable. It's I was still, a UNLV fan though back in the day when I was when I was a little kid. My dad brought me to Vegas for the first time, and I got to go to the Thomas and Mac when when the basketball squad was the squad. That's when you got the fake mustache. Yeah, yeah, fake mustache and, and everything. Luckily, you're not ugly like me, so you got it. Yeah, hey, I was good yeah. to go, man. I was cashing in <laughs> chips. I was doing all kind of stuff. The only thing that that drove me crazy was the end of the night. Uh, start, you know, like the facial, the stuff they made my beard with started falling off my face. And so I started getting irritated. I'm trying to eat. Patchy. Yeah. And there's little, there's little, you know, particles falling in my, my dinner and everything. So then I got mad and take the stupid beard off me, you know, even though the intention was great. So it was a lot of fun, but yeah. Um, so there you go. So I got a, I got a hat and I got a water and I took a couple pictures <laughs> and then I was out and now I'm back here. So that's going on right now at Allegiant stadium that actually gets wrapped up at three o'clock. So as you could tell. You know, it start. It opens doors open at twelve, and that's when everyone does the little mingling around, shaking hands, saying what's up. You know, we are broadcasting live from the performance, the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I did see uh, one of the main guys from Cadillac there, so that's great. You know, I had to tell him how awesome Cadillacs are, so that was a good little five to ten minute conversation. He was like, "Okay, I get it. You like Cadillacs? You get it? yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, a little bit. A little upgrade in the works, maybe." Hey, man, look, <laughs> man. Like, <laughs> you know where I, I work, brother. Radio you know where I work, brother. You know where perks. I work, though. <laughs> you know where I work. There might not I be do. too many upgrades coming uh, anytime soon for me, but you know I can always talk to the man about the Cadillac and maybe hook a brother up with an endorsement deal or something. You know what I mean? Like, hey, here's a, here's a car to drive around town and and test out so you can talk about it. Now that tell, tell the people that's that is exactly what I'm down with. So that's going on at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, that was fun to be just a, a a part of just for a quick second. But I'll tell you, the show that we're going to be a part of today is packed. Fast and furious. We're going to go on this stage on this show. By the time you sit down and catch your breath, the show's going to be over. I promise you it's going to go just like that. Coming up, matter of fact, at 2.30, we're going to switch things up a little bit. Uh, normally, we'll have a really good guest talking some NFL. We're going to talk with Ann Killian from the San Francisco Chronicle. She's going to join us to talk all things NBA Finals. And, look, it's game six tonight. I mean, this t- potentially could be the very last game of the 2022 season. You know, 2021-2022 season. The Warriors could hoist the championship tonight. I don't think that's likely. I think it's going to go to game seven. But... You never know. The season could get wrapped up tonight. Now, I hope they get it wrapped up tonight. I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't feel my confidence level is very low. I just don't see Boston losing three games in a row. I just don't. Trying to get that reverse jinx going. No, no, I'm just being honest. <laughs> you know? No, I don't either. It's a great series. <laughs> I mean, three games in a row, that's tough to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Boston's been there, done that with their back against the wall many times. So I could totally see, you know, I could totally see them getting that dub and then going back to Golden State and. Well, all you got to do is one game, one game, and, and, and you're out no matter what, you know, for both sides. So uh, we'll talk to Ann Killian coming up at 2.30. We'll really get, you know, kind of like the warrior side of things with her at 2.30. Then at 3 o'clock, instead of having cover three, we'll have Mark Medina from NBA.com. We'll really get the Boston Celtics side of things with him. So 2.30, we'll talk to Ann, talk really Golden State, and then Mark will join us at 3 o'clock, really talk Boston, and then we'll have both sides covered for this game that could be, as I mentioned, a monstrous game six. It could be the final game of the season. Then... At 3.30, I'm very excited about this conversation we're going to have. Former Raider safety Van McElroy is going to join the show, and he's been on the show many times before. He's a good dude. Uh, He's a Texas dude. He's a guy that went to Baylor. I'm very familiar with him. We've had some really great conversations here on the show and and just, you know, in person as well. I remember talking to him in Canton, Ohio last year when when Tom Flores and Charles Woodson were going into the Hall of Fame. I was able to, you know, hang out with him for a little while and just kind of pick his brain and talk to him, just football and life, and he's a real good dude. And the reason why we're having him on the show today it's not just to talk Raider football because around here and I like to make this very very clear around here we talk football we talk Raiders we talk sports in general but we also talk life and life is always going to be more important than anything that goes on in any field or any court bottom line life is always more important so if you got something going on in your personal life and you call here and, and share that with us, we take that dead-ass serious. We don't play around with stuff like that. Regardless of what you might think, we don't play around with any kind of life situations because life is real. Sports is great. Sports is a great place to take our minds off of, you know, some, some real deal life stuff. I mean, believe me, sports has saved my life. I've had some things happen in my life that I didn't think I could bounce back from, but because sports and I was able to talk about it, I was in a good place. Or I've been in a better place. Let's put it like that. So make no mistake about it. When real life stuff happens and situations are going on, if you ever call here and share it with us, we take that seriously. 
We ain't jo- joking about that. We ain't goofing on that. We don't care if you agree with us, don't agree, whatever. We'll never play around when it comes to stuff like that. Just want to throw that out there right now. Van McElroy is joining the show. He's from Evaldi, Texas. Okay, and we all know what happened, the tragedy that happened there. I didn't realize until John McClane told us like a week ago that Van was from Evaldi, right? And he lives just outside of town on a ranch, but he lives right outside of town where he literally could drive right in and go right past the school, Rob Elementary, right? And that day when that tragedy happened, he was driving into town to go eat, and that's when he saw all the police flying by him and all the big long lines of cars and everything. And, I mean, it was, it was massive, right? It was a massive day for him. He's got family there. He's got kids there that have kids. You know, he's calling people to find out if, if his loved ones have been affected. But that's a small town. And the one thing I know about small towns is small towns are very tight. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone's on the same page with everyone. You know, it's a first-name basis type situation. That's how it is there in Uvalde. And so what I learned today, fast forward to today and this morning, is that Raiders owner Mark Davis donated a million dollars to help out their campus situations there in that, in that particular town after having a conversation with Van McElroy. Van told Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer, like, what, maybe a couple days after the, the, the tragedy happened, he was working on some things to try to improve the area. And then all of a sudden today, we find out about a donation from Mark Davis, $1 million to the public school district there in Nivaldi, Texas, after that conversation he had with Van McElroy. So, yeah, we're going to talk Raider football with Van, but we're going to go way deeper, something way more personal, something that I think means a lot more with Van McElroy. That's going to be at 3.30. That's one of those where you might want to maybe have a box of tissues if you need it because you never know how it's going to shake out. I'm telling you, man, when it comes to kids and, and situations like that, it becomes very, very personal. And Van is a dude. I mean, he is a real good dude. So I know that he's going to put, you know, he'll put all his, his, his emotions and his thoughts and his feelings out there and have no shame. And I'll say this. First of all, kudos to Mark Davis. Second of all, could you imagine if all professional teams just did a little something to give back to the community that they're in and maybe try to help secure the campuses around town? I'm not saying they got to go and, you know, I don't, I don't even know what you do. I don't even know what you do, to be honest. I don't even know what you actually have to do to make everything a much, a much safer place. But could you imagine if every professional team out there just tried to give a little something-something back to try to help at least that area, at least campuses? Because at the end of the day, man, kids are what matter, right? It's one thing if you come at me and, and there's a problem and, and something tragically happens to me, at least I'm grown. But kids, give them a chance. They never had a chance. They never had a chance. Give them a chance. So hats off to Mark Davis for stepping up to the plate. We'll talk to Van McElroy coming up at 3.30. At 4 o'clock, Jeff Kerr, he's an NFL writer for CBS, CBS Sports. He'll join the show. Just talk all things NFL storylines. Obviously, we'll talk Raiders with him, talk about Josh McDaniels as the head coach, talk about what he's got going on, the opportunity he has as the head coach with you know all the weapons that he has offensively. We'll just talk all, all kind of different storylines. Talk some Baker Mayfield. Just kind of scatter shoot. Almost like a cover three. Since we're not going to have cover three today. If you, if you couldn't catch a theme going right now, we're not going to have cover three today. So instead of having cover three, we'll have Jeff Kerr. He's an NFL writer for CBS Sports. He's actually here in Vegas right now. He's in a bowling tournament, which is kind of cool. It's been fun to kind of watch him on Twitter and see him, you know, talking about his bowling tournaments that he's in. And uh, I think he's, a matter of fact, he's in one right now. And so he'll join us at 4 o'clock. He'll be done with that. And then at 4.30, looking forward to this conversation as well. Former Baylor Lady Bears head basketball coach and now LSU Tiger head basketball coach, Kim Mulkey. She's going to join the show. And the reason I have Coach Mulkey on, and I always love talking to her, she's, you know, she, she's just one of the cool of the coolest, right? She's done it at every level. She's a, a pro's pro, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame player. She's an Olympian, won, won a gold medal. I was watching Dream On last night on ESPN, and I don't know how many others watched it. I watched also game one of the Stanley Cup final. Very good game. Went to overtime. The Avalanche pulled it out. Fantastic game. But I was watching Dream On. And sometimes you don't really realize what, what, what kind of circumstances people have to go through to do what they love to do. And to think that the, the, the young ladies, and they were all, I mean, big-time players. You're talking about Lisa Leslie. You're talking about Don Staley, Rebecca Lobo. I mean, just, the list goes, Cheryl Swoops. 
Cheryl Swoops was one of my dad's favorite players, women basketball players growing up. He used to always talk about Cheryl Swoops. She could play. They all could play. But just to see all the things that they had to go through to try to even represent our country was amazing. You know, it really was. And so to see them then when they were playing and trying to represent the country and trying to win that gold medal, which they eventually did, to think about the LV Aces right now and what they're doing and how the game has evolved so much to the point where there's so many people at the arenas and how fired up they are to watch the Aces go out there and play. And, and are they where they need to be yet? No. They still have a long way to go. They still have to get more money. As far as pay, they should get more money. Their accommodations, their travel should be better. But from what it was back then when I was watching that, that piece on that Dream On to where it is right now, it's still come a long way. And now young ladies, young little girls can look up and see Asia Wilson and say, I want to be like her. Back when Kim Mulkey was playing, there was nobody. There was nobody that she could really say, hey, I want to be like her because young ladies, young girls couldn't even play basketball. Couldn't even play sports. That's why they got Title IX now. So that's going to be a fun conversation. Kim Mulkey, we go way back, Central Texas. I covered her at Baylor. Uh, she's always been someone I really respected. She's very brash. She's very in your face. She's not going to pull no punches. But she's also just a hell of a person. She's a hell of a person. And, and I know right now she's in Atlanta. She's uh, watching her son Kramer play baseball for the Braves. He's uh, in the minor league system. He was playing for the Cardinals. Now he's in Atlanta. So uh, we'll talk to her about all things, just sports. We'll ask her about the NBA Finals. But, uh, yeah, Kim Mulkey will join the show coming up at 430. So we're locked and loaded. I say all that to let you know, man, we got a lot coming up on the show. And Killian, Mark Medina, Van McElroy, Jeff Kerr, and Kim Mulkey all coming up on the show today. Now that you know the lineup, let's go ahead and jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Before I get into the opening drive, I just saw this text on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R, from the 925. Adam Silver's not there due to COVID. It's going to go seven. There you go. Hey, you know what? I You laugh, Ari, and I laugh a little bit. I chuckle a little bit, but... They're not wrong. They're not wrong. Knowing that information right now, I would pretty much bet that it's going to go seven regardless. I can't imagine a champion being crowned and Adam Silver not being there. But I've been wrong before. I've been wrong before. Hell, they gave out the Magic Johnson uh, trophy, the, the Western Conference Finals trophy, uh, you know, for the most valuable player, which I think is a weird award, but whatever. Magic Johnson wasn't there. They gave out the Larry Bird trophy for the Eastern Conference. Jason Tatum won that. Larry Bird wasn't there. So... There you go. There's that. <laughs> You're a little confusing. You're a little confused, are you? It's a little weird. Yeah, it's a little it weird. Feels weird. First year of a trophy with your name on it. If I ever have an award that I hand out in my name, at least the first year I could be there. Yeah. That's, I mean, at least the, hell, Bill Bare Russell's minimum. still there, right? Bill Russell's still there. Every time he hands out his most valuable player trophy, Bill Russell's still there. But yeah, that's a good little nugget. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Matter of fact, we'll ask Ann about that coming up. At 2.30. But I wanted to kind of go over. Sometimes we have interviews, and because we're moving so fast here on the show, and I know I'm guilty of it all the time, we don't really get to absorb everything that, you know, the the person was saying. And so I was going over last night, I was going over the interview that we did with Lincoln Kennedy on the show yesterday, and it was fantastic. I even played the whole thing on my on my podcast earlier today just because I know everyone doesn't always get to tune into the radio show. Sometimes they don't get to tune into, you know, to the podcast and they do tune into the radio show. I mean, whatever the case may be, that just is how it happens. But I was checking out and I was going over that that interview with Lincoln Kennedy, and there was a couple things that really stood out to me. And so it's funny, yesterday's topic, we were talking about the offensive line and the defensive line, and if you had an opportunity to go get a big-time defensive tackle, should you do it, or should you continue to address the offensive line? I don't know about you, Ari, but after listening to Lincoln Kennedy, it almost solidified the, hey, you better go get that offensive line. You better make sure that that offensive line is in the place where it needs to be. And so there's a couple little sound bites that I wanted to, I just wanted to point out real quick and just just to see if you heard it or what your thoughts were on it when you heard what he had to say. So the first one I wanted to play, and I got to get to it right now. I, this is probably bad timing. Sorry, Ari. <laughs> Wait, yeah, let's go. Let's go ahead and talk about. Let's go and talk about the one with uh, with McDaniel's when they're talking about scheming up or hiding any of the blemishes on the offensive line, especially early in the season, if that is even possible. Well, there's really no hiding it. it really, you, when you talk about the, you know, the opponents you're playing, you're playing professional football, there's really no hiding it. 
what you do is you scheme for what you think is best. And a lot of times, and in my experience, Q, it's been coaches keeping it simple. And what I mean by simple, you know, simple dives, simple runs, simple pass, you know, routes, route combinations, stuff like that, just to see what you have. Now, the thing is, the, the, the leg up that Coach McDaniels has with this team is that you have a number of veterans and a quarterback that knows the team, knows, knows a lot of the players on the team. He knows the tendencies of Darren Waller. He knows the tendencies of Hunter Renfro. He knows the tendencies of Josh Jacobs. Finalizing the line and securing the line and getting them to just build confidence off of what they can do well, whatever it is, scheme-wise, that's what you start with. That's what the basics and you know as well as I do, Q, a lot of team, a lot of coaches don't like to scheme a lot during preseason. Right. They keep it extremely vanilla, and that's okay because you can get you can get a sort of wherewithal what your team is capable of if you go straight vanilla, just straight base, you know, runs, base passes, base defense. You're not trying to light up the scoreboard. More importantly, you're not trying to showcase everything that you can possibly do. You're just trying to get your guys some work. So more times than not, both sides usually play vanilla. I don't know how Josh has done it in the past. But I know, you know, watching Belichick, it pretty, pretty much looked vanilla when they played in preseason. So there's Lincoln Kennedy talking about the fact that you really can't scheme or hide the weaknesses of the offensive line, you know. And if they're going to want to get the most out of this offense, the potential that they have, what we see on paper, they're really going to have to have that offensive line be solid. So how does it become solid? Well, a lot of us, we're all going to look at the right side, right? When we were at mandatory minicamp a week ago, what was every one of us to a T doing? looking to see where Alex Leatherwood lined up. Is he at right tackle? Is he at right guard? We've talked to Tour Blue in the face about he is really going to be one of the biggest keys. I think Denzel Good coming back is also major. Denzel Good, by the way, put out a tweet saying he's rehabbing. He's still working. It's been a, it's been a bear, but he's still working. So it sounds like everything is good to go for him as far as maybe uh, starting out training camp, probably not exactly working all the time as soon as, as, soon as training camp starts, but – you know, it seems like he should be good to go at some point, but he's been putting in a lot of rehab work, and I think Denzel Good returning uh, will be big for the Raiders. But all in all, you got to look at Alex Leatherwood and say, where is he going to play? Once you know that, Domino, because you know where Colton Miller is going to be. Once they know exactly where Leatherwood's going to be, then they can start building everyone around him. I've said that Dylan Parham and Andre James, I think they're going to compete for that center position. But, you know, the more and more I think about it, the more I think that, you know what? James has that one year of communication with Derek Carr and Der- and that, that communication is going to be huge. That communication is going to be a monster. Like they've got to be able to not only block, but he has to be able to check out of things and read, read a defense and say, and, and adjust his, uh, you know, the, the protections. So most likely that makes sense for James to end up being that guy because he has that one year under his belt. Now, of course they'll compete for that during training camp, but it feels like James should be the guy for that. So what is, what is it about Alex Leatherwood? Where, does he fit the best? Here's what Lincoln Kennedy had to say when I asked him that exact question. Well, it depends on the offseason. Now, you know how clandestine these little mini camps and everything has become in, in football today. It's not an open forum like it once was where you have access. And I've always believed, doesn't matter what time of year, you never know how good you are until you play against somebody. So it depends on the, 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 the offseason for Alex Leatherwood. I said last year on countless shows on Raider Nation Radio and every other platform I had that I still think Alex Leatherwood can be a good offensive lineman, a good pro in this league. The things that held him up last year is that he got stagnant in his ways and he just wasn't coached right. And it's going to be interesting to see if it, if it happens, if he's been able to coach out of those things. The things that most people don't realize, especially when you play this game, it has a lot to do with muscle memory. Guys don't generally think. They go for what they know. They go what they what they've had success with in the past. And sometimes it's really hard to break those types of tendencies. I always believe that Alex Leatherwood's biggest nemesis, biggest minus last year, was that he would stick both of his hands out, extend them, overextend themselves at times, and leave them out there. So when people would knock him down or would swim, move him, or, or bypass him, or just uh, you know just push him out of the way, he had no recourse. He wasn't. He was unable to move his hips. So moving him in at guard really helped him because it gave him a little bit tighter space to play and not as much space as tackle. However, in there, he still had the same tendency where he would be overextended. And once guys got even with his shoulders, there was a lot of holding penalties, a lot of miscues. So with that being said, you know, I told everybody, I said, look, he, he needs to be like a boxer where he's jamming and he's pulling his hand back and he's jamming again. And you learn how to basically throw punches you know, at a man who's coming at you to buy yourself three to four seconds, which is generally all the time you need to pass the football. 
I don't know if he's been able to do that. I won't see until training camp if he's been able to do that. I still think he can play tackle if he learns how to use his hands better. But if not, he's better suited for a guard. They have to cover up the blemish that they have not been able to cover up for years at the right tackle. You've got to keep a whole offensive line intact if you expect Derek Carr and his offense to have any success. There it is right there. Very thorough answer right there from Lincoln Kennedy on Alex Leatherwood. Should he be tackled? Should he be a guard? And he he leaves out the either or because, you know, he let it be known like, hey, it depends on what he's done this offseason and how he's developed. And he, he, he let it be known. So with that being said, and with the words of Lincoln, who obviously was a fantastic tackle for the Raiders, we all know what Lincoln Kennedy was able to do. And we know that he knows what he's talking about a lot more than I know what the right tackle should be doing or the right guard should be doing. Lincoln's been in the trenches. He knows about that. You know, he's been to the mountaintop. He's been in the Super Bowl. So with that being said, does that kind of confirm the need to make sure that the Raiders do everything they can to upgrade and address that offensive line? Or do you think it could, it, it could still be okay? Do you think it could still work out where, hey, Derek Carr is good enough to get the ball out of his hands quickly, Devontae Adams runs enough quick routes, they can do this real fast and, and be okay? You know what I mean? And kind of not disguise because, again, like Lincoln said, you can't disguise – and you can't hide uh, a blemish in the offensive line. And again, remember, and particularly this year, who the Raiders are playing, the Broncos, the Chargers, and the Chiefs twice a year, every one of those teams has bookend edge rushers. So I've said many times that I feel like the, the team that's going to win the AFC West is going to have the best set of tackles in the division. And they'll just have a solid offensive line. I know there's holes in the Chargers offensive line. I know there's holes in the Broncos offensive line. Hell, you could question and say that there's holes in the Chiefs offensive line. They went out there and addressed it last year after Mahomes ran around for his life in uh, in the Super Bowl. But, you know, is it is it solidified yet? You could say that there's some questions there. So there's some question marks, I think, on every team. But you would probably rather be the team in the Raiders that have that line solidified. So you feel really confident that, hey, your team your weapons, your quarterback, your head coach is calling the plays is going to have every opportunity possible to dial up what they need to dial up. With, with, with what Lincoln Kennedy had to say, does that confirm the need to upgrade and address that offensive line? I'd love to hear from you at 702-365-9200. I know that's the Raider Nation listener line. I know we got a guest coming up in a matter of seconds, but you could also hit us up on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187-keyword-R&R and let me know your thoughts on that. Do you think, because of what Lincoln Kennedy had to say when he's talking about not really being able to disguise and hide any blemishes along that offensive line, that the Raiders really need to make sure that they address that area of the team? That's more important than a potential defensive tackle like an Indomitian suit. Let me know about it. 226 is the time. Ann Killian from the San Francisco Chronicle. She'll join us next. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. There's extra incentive for the Golden State Warriors to win this because it shuts up so many naysayers about Kevin Durant. This will quiet so much of that conversation. And also, it'll most likely put Seth in a position to win his first finals MVP. So when you start looking back at the history of his career and of all of his accomplishments and all of his championships, this will be the one that you will point to. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, here's your boy, Q. Happy birthday, Pac. My man Aaron hit us up on Twitter and said, Q, that interview with Lincoln Kennedy was fantastic. I think he said exactly what I've been trying to say, just a lot smarter and a lot more articulate. We also have the Steelers and 49ers late in the season going to need a deep offensive line. I've been throwing out the question, did that interview from Lincoln Kennedy and the words he said about the offensive line not being able to hide any blemishes, did that kind of solidify it for you that the Raiders need to upgrade at the offensive line position. Of course, hit us up on the text line at 69187, keyword R&R, because right now on the phone line from the San Francisco Chronicle, we have Ann Killian. And Ann, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you. And I saw the news. The Bay Area has been officially named a host city for the 2026 World Cup. The best in soccer will return to the Bay for the first time since 99, the women's game. How big? I mean, that's huge. That's a monstrous thing. But how exciting is that? Um, I think it's pretty exciting. Um, I'm a big World Cup fan. I'm a big international soccer person, and I actually covered the 1994 World Cup um, as well as the 99 Women's World Cup. But, you know, the 94 World Cup was an interesting thing. Um, I hope uh, 
I, I, you know, I, I hope that organized well. I hope transportation is well. I've covered World Cups in Western Europe, and, you know, everyone can get on a train and go to a different city easily, and that's not really the case here. People have to fly around a lot. So, you know, I, I hope they pull it off. I think it's the West Coast has some cool cities, Vancouver, Guadalajara, um, uh, Seattle, the Bay Area, which is Santa Clara, not San Francisco, and <laughs> Los Angeles. Um, which is, you know, uh, that, that's pretty cool. And, and LA, in LA, they, uh, SoFi Stadium got, got the nod over the historic Rose Bowl, which of course has hosted the final of both the 99 women and the 94, uh, men's World Cup. So, um, but SoFi is basically inside LAX. So, um, right. it makes transportation a lot easier to, to have it at SoFi. Well, that should be pretty cool. Looking forward to that. No doubt about it. Again, 2026 will be in the Bay Area. We're talking with Ann Killian from the San Francisco Chronicle. and want to talk all things NBA Finals, Game 6. Uh, how big is this for the Warriors? I mean, how big is it? Do they need to get this thing done tonight in Boston, Game 6? No need to return back to the Bay for a Game 7. Well, I mean, we know that they don't need to, but do they want to? Absolutely. I mean, they're, you know, they they know um, something that Boston doesn't know, which is about closing out a final series. And they've um, you know they've done it they've done it in the past on the road. They've not done it on the road. They've not done it at home. Um, they've you know they've done it in different ways. So um, the Warriors, you know, I think are going to try and draw on that experience and and you know they very much especially you know and a team that's getting older you know you don't want to you don't want to go to a game seven where anything can happen um so uh i i know of course there's an urgency about it tonight um you don't want to think oh you know we got that extra day Right. You know, we have another game if we need it, but, uh, which is the reality, but they don't want to think that way. No, no, they don't. But, you know, so far throughout the playoffs, when they've had that closeout moment, uh, they've let it slip away and then had to return back to the Bay to get it done. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping, as a Warrior fan, I'm hoping that narrative changes tonight and they're able to get it done. What are your expectations for Steph? He goes 0 for 9 from three-point land. What kind of bounce-back game are you expecting from Curry? Uh, I'm expecting a bounce-back game. Um, I'm expecting him to make a three-point shot, um, <laughs> and I'm expecting him, you know, uh, you know, to – I'm not expecting because you know there 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 is a game seven um, and Boston's a very talented and desperate team. But if the Warriors win, I'm also expecting him to hoist the uh, MVP trophy for the first time because you know he's been pretty spectacular, um, not only in the finals but in this whole run. Um, it's it's hard to even imagine that you know, at the end of the regular season he missed about three weeks because he had the foot injury and there was all this question: Are they? you know, rushing him back for the playoffs? Are they, how's he going to be? How's he going to hold up? And um, he's really, you know, he's, he's been not only great on the court, he's the leader. Um, you know, it's not just about point totals. It's about you know, a vastly improved defense from the Steph Curry we saw in the dynasty runs about a savviness, about a calmness, a leadership, you know, it's all those things. So, um, yeah, I expect a lot from Steph tonight. How big has... Andrew Wiggins been and how, how much have you just seen him grow from the minute that the Warriors traded for him to where he is right now on the biggest stage? Well, I've just seen him grow during these playoffs. I mean, I mean, they traded for him, you know, he, it was, you know, there was, you never knew what it was really going to look like because the team never played together, right? Mm -hmm. They never had everyone healthy all season. So you didn't know, you know, how it was going to be, how the shot distribution was going to be. And, I mean, he's just been a re revelation right from the start of the playoffs, particularly with his defense. And and then all of a sudden he's just elevated his his, his energy, his joy, his happiness, his enthusiasm, his animation. Like, he looks like a different Andrew Wiggins than he, than he did before. And um, I think he just – you know, it's it's cliche for those of us who cover it, but there's something that's the Warriors' culture of bringing out the best in players. And for a guy who was, you know, really um, labeled a bust, he was the face of Minnesota when it was a very dysfunctional franchise. There was, you know, things did not go well for him. Um, for him to, you know, click in with this kind of championship uh, mindset and group, 
I think has been huge for him, and and um, it's it's been a lot of fun to watch. And you mentioned that that championship culture that the Warriors have. How much of that was, you know, what? There's no pressure on you. Just go out there, relax, play your game, and 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 let the chips fall where they may. How much did that help Andrew Wiggins? Well, I think there was pressure on him. I mean, I think I think I think his teammates uh, encouraged him, like, "You're really, really good," and let's. Let's see you up your game. So I think there was actually some pressure. Like Draymond told a story about how the other night when he had, um, I think it was 16 rebounds, and, and uh, they were told, you know, your, season, your, your career high before had been 11. And Draymond and Steph gave him crap about that. Like, you're too good to only have, have you know, a, a career high of 11 rebounds. Um, so I think there's, you know, there's, there's uh, a relaxation to a to a certain degree, but also this is a group that has very elevated standards and they all um, push each other and they, they kind of can see it in front of them of what they can achieve. So I think, you know, he's, he's um, been pushed as well. Right. Well, he's, he's, he's stepped up in a major way, especially the last couple of games, as you mentioned, rebounding defensively. I mean, he's been getting buckets, but rebounding and defensively, it's been major for one Andrew Wiggins. And I'll tell you, when the Warriors got back to the finals, I felt so happy. I know everyone in the Bay felt happy for Clay Thompson after everything that he's gone through. Uh, he's put up some massive games. He's game six, Clay, for a reason. Uh, man, how, how cool has it been to be able to just see him back out there on the stage in this finals uh, setting with an opportunity now to hoist another trophy? Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, you know. I mean, and and Clay, while everyone, uh, you know, Steph is the face of the team. Everyone loves Steph. There's something about Clay that he has that kind of bond with the with the Warriors fans. That's you know a little bit different, like a little bit more just oh, we love that guy so much because he's so real. Kind of the way Giants fans were with Tim Lincecum. Like he's just a, a very real guy, and he jumps in the ocean and he <laughs> he drives his boat across the bay from his house to to go to the games and he's, you know, got his bulldog who has his own little life vest and, and, you know, so he, and he loves basketball and he was, you know, couldn't play for two and a half years and had back to back injuries that, you know, at for certain people, those could be career ending either one of them. And so for him to be back here and have a chance to be game six clay, you know, in the NBA finals, um, I think, you know, Every basketball fan, whether they're a Warriors fan or not, has to feel good for him because he's just such an easygoing, likable dude who um, just wants to hoop and here he is doing it again. Yeah, it's, it's been fun to be able to see him uh, do that and be out there on the biggest stage. Again, we're talking with Ann Killian from San Francisco Chronicle here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. What would it mean for the Warriors if they hoist another trophy, if they're able to get it done either tonight or in Game 7 if they have to go back to the Bay? What would it mean for them to have another trophy there at, uh, at the Chase Center? Well, I think it's huge. I mean, I, I think, you know... Three years ago, when in 2019, when the night Clay blew out his ACL, the night they were eliminated from uh, by the Toronto Raptors, you know, it really felt like the end of something. And we knew Durant was out the door, and of course, he had had his Achilles. And then, you know, it just felt like you know it was the last night at Oracle in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just all this change, and it felt like things had, you know, that run had ended. And then they were the worst team in the league the next year when. You know, Clay's out, Steph broke his hand, Durant's gone. Um, and then to see them back in such a short time, I think, is really a testament to that core three, it's a testament to their front office, getting the, you know, doing some kind of amazing things, um, uh, like getting Wiggins. And that was in large part because Durant agreed to a sign and trade. So they got to give him a tip of the hat. Yeah. It's a testament to Steve Kerr's. Um, coaching, but I, I think it really means a lot. This has been, you know, I think the most surprising journey since the first one. I mean, in 2015, we, you know, they were kind of ahead of the curve winning a championship, but um, once they did that, everything else was kind of expected. Five straight was kind of expected. Five straight finals trips. Right. Um, you know, once Durant got there and they're a super team and the team that ruined basketball, 
But this is, I think, uh, will ultimately, given everything they've been through and their age and their perspective, I think this will be the sweetest journey of them all if they're able to do it. I'll tell you, the first one was so sweet. You know, as a Bay Area native my whole life, I was like, man, this is something I could never imagine was going to happen. But this one, you're right. This one, if they're able to pull this one off either tonight or in Game 7, this will be just as, as good feeling as that first one won, if not a little bit better. So final question for you. For the Warriors to get it done tonight, you know, who who do you think needs to step up and have a big game or or what will you be looking for as far as keys to this game go? Well, I, I think the keys to the game so far have been the rebounding, which we talked about, so Wiggins and Looney, and then, you know, uh Boston hasn't played great on their home floor in this in the playoffs and they just turned the ball over at a like kind of astounding clip and they were really sloppy with the ball um, in the end of game five. And I, I think if the Warriors can speed them up and get them out in transition and, and keep them off balance and making the bad passes and dribbling into the corner and that kind of thing, I think that's the key for the Warriors. But, you know, Boston's a really good team. Mm-hmm. I, when I, when I looked at this, I, I picked the Warriors in seven and I thought the deciding factor would be the experience. Um, which, you know, so far it's kind of that I think it's kind of playing out that way. The experience, you know, nothing rattles them. That, you know, when the Celtics came out and punched them in the mouth in the, the beginning of the third quarter in game five, they weren't rattled and they came back. Um, so I, I kind of, I think, you know, I, I granted I cover the Warriors, right. um, so I look at it through the Warriors' lens, but I, I feel like that's the, the, will tip the balance in the Warriors' favor is their experience. No, I agree. I agree 100%. It's going to be interesting tonight. I cannot wait to see the game tip off and see how it all shakes out. If it doesn't get done tonight, then uh, hopefully it gets done for Warrior fans and myself in Game 7. And fantastic stuff. You got anything coming out on the on the Chronicle that uh, we need to be on the lookout for? Uh, just more Warriors coverage. It's just been uh, about three straight months of Warriors coverage. Nice. I'll be interested to write about something else at some point. I heard that. Well, enjoy the finals. Uh, great job as always. We appreciate you. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Ann Killian right there, San Francisco Chronicle on Twitter, at Ann Killian. That's K-I-L-L-I-O-N. You can check out her work, and she's been covering the Warriors like a glove. And like she said, for the last three months, she's been writing nothing but Warriors, Warriors, Warriors. So uh, that was the Warriors side of things for NBA Finals game number six. We will get the Celtics side of things with Mark Medina. That will come up at 3 o'clock. Before we get to him, though, I do want to hear from you at 702-365-9200. Let me know how you're feeling after Lincoln Kennedy said what he had to say about the offensive line. There's really no hiding. There's really no scheming it up to, uh, you know, hide any blemishes that they may have. Are you that much more convinced that the Raiders need to make sure that they address that offensive line and make it as strong and solid as possible? Let us know about it. 702-365-9200 and the Salmon Ash text line at 69187 keyword R&R. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Many thanks to Ann Killian from the San Francisco Chronicle. Join us in the last segment to talk all things Game 6 of the NBA Finals from a Warriors point of view. We'll talk Boston Celtics with Mark Medina from NBA.com. He'll join us coming up at the top of the hour. A little programming note around 445 we're going to actually sign off and we're going to make way for uh, upon further review. That's the show that Eddie Pascal does from Raiders.com. He'll be joined by GM Dave Ziegler. So you want to pay attention to that. It's going to be a really good conversation. So if the GM of the Raiders wants to be on Raider Nation Radio 920, then damn it, who am I to say you're not going to be on until uh, 5 o'clock? So I'm going to put them on. They're going to be on at 445, or we're going to sign off around 445, because then after that, then they'll have Aviator Baseball. So we got a lot coming for you all afternoon long, but just kind of put that in your notes. Eddie Pascal, GM Dave Ziegler, will be along around 450-ish is around the time. That's upon further review right here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Let's uh, go out to the phone lines at 702-365-9200. Talk to our guy Juan the Smasher right here in Vegas. What's on your mind, Juan? What's up, Q? What's going on? Hey, man, I'm chilling. Man, I know. That's right. Hey, man, uh, don't even trip. Hey, today, them them Warriors going to put those Celtics to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I'm a Lakers fan, and I don't like neither team, but uh, honestly, come on, man. Curry, Steph, these fools going to smash those cats. I just don't see it. Man, you guys going to win in Boston. Don't even trip. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got this. And then uh, for the O-line, I'm going to agree with Lincoln Kennedy. As much as I love me some defense, and, and it hurts to say, but, yeah, man, we need to fix that low line because we need Josh Jay 
to run through the A-gap and just run it in their mouth. You know what I'm saying? Let's go, baby. There he goes, Juan the Smasher. Thank you for the call, my man. I definitely appreciate you. And, uh, yeah, hey, I hope that that's the case, man. I hope that the Dubs get that dub tonight. Uh, you know, got that that note earlier that Adam Silver is not going to be there due to COVID, so uh, it'll go to Game 7. That's that's not something that I doubt. You know, I really don't. And I just think that that energy of that crowd in Boston is going to be next level. But uh, I hope you're right, Juan. I hope I come in here tomorrow and be like, shout out to Juan the Smasher. He was right. I might walk in. I might. I might dance me a jig. You know what I mean. I might walk in here and do a little something, something to celebrate. I'm just saying. I might get video of that. I, hey, look, man. I might do it. I, I might go. I might do one of them uh, Mac Dre feeling myself type videos. You know what I'm saying? I've been known to do that, man. I'm in the building. I'm feeling myself. I get my Mac Dre on. That's right. That's what I want tomorrow. If the Warriors win tonight. I want nothing but Mac Dre. Just that's all. That's I just or or just all Bay love. That, that's about it. So. Put that in the back of your mind, Ari. I do appreciate you. Let's go out to, speaking of the Bay, let's go out to our guy, ABA Ivan Davis. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I just want to answer the Leatherwood uh, question, uh, whether uh, I think that we need to address that or not. It's kind of a catch-22, Okay. I mean, to be honest with you. But the long an- the short answer is yes. Okay, and uh, but only temporarily uh, because I think Leatherwood will be ready by by half the season. I wish Link would just go down and talk to him. I I I, I bet you if Link went down and just gave him a ten minute, twenty minute conversation about what he needs, that that would that that would change everything. Knowing that a legend like that who played that position, you know, uh, would uh, come out and, and help him. Nothing against the coaches, but it just. Right. It, I mean, it just means something. It seemed like Al knew, hey, keep these guys around because you know it, it, it means something to the players. Right, right. And so, uh, but yeah, but uh, I'm glad he thinks so because I mean he has the talent. Yeah. Okay, but that's not going to help this season. So, <laughs> so we need to address that. Okay, it, just a one, like one year, maybe somebody that's a vet, maybe got one or two years left, but can still do the job, and then Leatherwood take over. Next season, unless of course he just matures to the point to where he comes out, but that's if that's the right tackle. Right, right. Okay, if the, if it's a guard, then you go ahead and just put him at guard and leave him there. So we'll see. Yeah, that's my answer. Thanks, Q. Hey, thank you for the call, my man. And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, we won't know how far along he comes. You know, he has come along until probably even really preseason. And who knows how much we'll see of him actually in preseason. Because you know, as Lincoln mentioned on yesterday's show, you're not going to – I mean, they're not in pads. They're not popping. They're not doing any of that in practice. And even when they are, it's not like they're going full speed and they're, you know, they're trying to, to protect the quarterback at all costs. I mean, they're, you know what I mean? Like, it's just different when it's in practice. You can't really practice that well, especially with the CBA being the way it is. Now you're protecting you're, – you're, you're practicing in space. You're not practicing man against man. You know what I mean? Like, it's just different. So I, I, it's hard to determine how far along he's come. And if he's going to be the key, like you said, if he's going to be a tackle, there's a lot of work he's got to do. Like Lincoln said, he's got to be able to learn how to be a fighter, you know, and just punch, 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 instead of just put his hands out there and leave them. That's what it's about. It's really about the muscle memory. He's got the size. He's got the strength. He did it at Alabama. He was a left tackle and a right tackle. So, I mean, you, you know that he can do it, but can he do it on this level with those dudes that he's got to go up against, you know, six times a year, twice with the Chiefs, twice with the Broncos, and twice with the Chargers. I mean, that's that's going to be the big question. So that's why, for me, it almost feels like you have to go address it. It's crazy because this has been such a, a big topic, and I think that that's really – it feels like the only missing pieces, right? The, the conversation we've been having the last few days, it feels like the only missing pieces the Raiders have right now are a solidified offensive line, you know, some uh, some 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 proven defensive tackle like a Sue, like we talked about on yesterday's show, and and a veteran corner. I mean, like those are the three areas that I could say if they were to be able to address those right now, I think this Raiders team would be not perfect. No team is perfect, but it would be as, as close to being damn good as possible, right? I mean, it has all the parts right there. If you knew that that offensive line was going to be solidified, you had a big time defensive tackle and a veteran corner that you really believed in. I think you would feel great about the position that the team is heading into the season. Let's talk to uh, let's go out to the phone line one more time. Talk to our guy Raider X. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? What's up, Q? Chilling, man. Chilling. 
Hey, just talking about, I'm interested in uh, talking about this offensive line, uh, listening to Lincoln. So he talked about, like, uh, you know, Leatherwood talking about saying all the right things and saying different things prior to or just after the draft. I'm interested if he did mention about, you know, how he, how he actually plays the position, hand placement, you know, pushing off rather than engaging, leaning in and doing these other things. Because in his press conference, he did mention about hand placement that he was working on his hand mm-hmm. Yeah. However, he didn't go specifically on how he addressed it. I mean, I'd like for somebody to ask him, so, you know, can you share a little bit of what, what you actually did? Because one of the things I remember Lincoln talking about last season was, you know, hopefully during the off season, he wanted Leatherwood to engage in maybe some boxing, right. some other type of technique so that he can actually develop a punch. Yeah. So he can start, you know, engaging and not leaning forward or committing himself into the defender. So, you know, I like to see that question posed because, you know, uh, again, is he saying the right things? How did he address those deficiencies? I mean, if he's aware of it, that's cool. That's where it all begins. But is he actually engaging into, you know, a practice that will actually have him overcome that deficiency? Um, Secondly, you know, the whole D-line thing, um, I think that it's all kind of resting in, you know, that middle. Obviously, Sue, I don't know if Sue is the true answer. I know that he's a proven commodity. Um... But that was then. I don't know what he's doing now. I think he has a little bit of something special in the tank. Oh yeah. How big is that? How big is that tank? We really don't know. Obviously, you know, he's not being coveted, uh, you know, highly. But he is, you know, uh, you know, somebody that everybody has a, a, a respect of him because they know what he can bring. It's just a question, you know, how much he can bring on the constant. Is he going to be somebody that's going to be with high expectation, bringing that leadership and bringing that? That juice, as we thought, you know, Gerald McCoy was going to bring, right? Which I was high, big, big high on that guy. Me too. Um, but uh, it's just that, you know, will he just, you know, get injured because he is an older dude? But um, you know, it is a change in scheme, as you can see. Now we're going 300 plus. You're going from the high 280s to dudes that are bringing some beef. So it's a whole different scheme for so somebody to judge their D line on what they have. I don't think that's truly fair. Um, you know, listening to your guest yesterday, I don't think that's truly fair. I think that's a whole different scheme. It's a, on both sides. So, you know, we really don't know what it is, but, you know, kind of get into one of your, you know, your adages. So the Raiders season, all re- it's all on the line. So <laughs> we can kind of have that theme now. It's all on the line because it's on the D line or the O line. It right. is all on the line. It all rests on the line. There you go. You know, so there we go, brother. So, you know, thank you, man. I want to get your feedback. You guys have a blessed day, man. Take care, man. Raider, Raider X out. There you go. Appreciate the call, my man. And you're right, man. The the trenches are where it's at, the offensive line and defensive line. The thing I'll say about Sue in his career, real quick, two two games missed. I mean, the dude's fantastic. He's over 300 pounds. Uh, he's a guy that I believe could play football. He's a football player. Wherever you put him, he's going to go play. So I, I think, and oh, by the way, six and a half sacks he had for the defensive tackle position just a year ago. So yeah, I think he can he could provide that, but uh, you got to get that offensive line solidified, and you're right about Leatherwood. He's got to be a puncher. He's got to be a puncher. Something Lincoln Kennedy said yesterday just on this show. Got to be a puncher. That's how he's going to get better. And We really won't know the answer to that for a while. So thank you so much for that call. Appreciate you. It's 3 o'clock on the dot. When we come back, we'll talk to Mark Medina from NBA.com. Get the Celtics side of things when it comes to NBA Finals game number six. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.